Warning. What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. Welcome to We're in Fear Day, barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world from six feet apart. From six feet apart. From six yep. feet apart. Everybody, be safe, be real. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Yeah, we're six feet apart. We absolutely, yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We're being responsible. Oh yeah, we are. Because we normally sit closer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. I think I might be like six inches further this way. <laughs> well, I'm further. Um, probably like a foot. Oh shit, maybe we are. Good. And this is even better. Yeah, because we normally sit at the corner together. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I like yeah. that. All right. Good. Well, doing our part. Doing our part. Yeah. Anyways, Germany. On the brink of war. What? Shots are fired. However, the year is 1517, and these shots are much more metaphorical. Ah, beautiful. Yeah, not not as many guns back then. No, no. No. Oh, wow. Okay. A local professor of theology nailed a topic of debate to the door of the local church. This man, of course, was Martin Luther. He was. Oh. Yeah. Very exciting. uh, Nailing... Things on the door were his uh, 95 theses. Yes. And it was uh, about to get placed up for debate. Or so the professor slash theologist slash priest slash monk thought. Mr. Luther's got a lot of skills. Yes, he does. He was a man of many trades, I guess. Almost a renaissance man. Hmm. It's interesting. It's about that time. Yeah, a little. It's around there. Yeah, that's right. I think I'm pretty sure Maybe he may actually he may actually be a Renaissance man. I don't know. He might be, because I think the Reformation led to a lot of things. But the, did the Renaissance and then the Reformation, um, or were they kind of inter intermingled? Because I don't have the dates in front of me. Let's say intermingled. Let's yeah, get. Let's they give, might be because because some of the names I did come across were in there around there. Yeah. I figure we'll give ourselves some unchecked wiggle room to not be wrong. Yeah. They were around the same time. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. You see, so he thought these were up for debate, but you see during this time, the Catholic Church, which Martin Luther is currently a part of, was doing some stuff he didn't uh, seem to think was quite right. Oh. So the biggest issue uh, was with the what was called the selling of indulgences. So indulgences are the basis of the economy of salvation. I mean, come on. What a cool idea, everybody. So the economy of salvation was also called the divine... Did I say comedy? No. Oh, good. Because I almost said divine comedy. Well, that's, that a, different, that's a different... But, uh, yeah, the economy of salvation, also called the divine economy, is that part of a divine revelation in the Roman Catholic tradition that deals with God's creation and management of the world, particularly his plan of salvation... Accomplished through the church. That doesn't sound that bad, right? Ah, well. Well. Yeah. So basically what this breaks down to, though, without going into all of theology. Yeah, break it down. uh, It's a little something like this. 
when a Christian sins and goes to confession, they are forgiven. Forgiven enough that upon death, they won't go straight to hell. But they are not entirely forgiven. <sighs> a still, eh, kind of a sinner may still be subject to temporal punishments. Temporal punishment is something that can be overcome by acts of mercy. Otherwise, you go to purgatory, where your soul awaits until these acts of mercy can be completed so that the pure soul can enter into heaven. Or, you know, not. It goes the other way. Right. I mean, just right off the bat, what a cool system. Mm -hmm. It's a real cool idea. Yeah, not... Well, it's yeah, it's cool. It's cool, cool idea, God, because this was God's idea. <laughs> Anyways, going, you're right? telling me a story. Yeah, you're telling me a story. So where these indulgences indulgences come into play? Well, you see, they were acts of mercy that you bought from the church, huh? And basically got a receipt that said you had paid for your sins. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you see how that could ruffle the feathers of maybe a pious man, perhaps. Not so much a greedy one. No, potentially a man who but, uh, you know, is of true character. Right. So it. some people weren't fans of this. Hard to believe. Right. Well, this led to the, the selling of indulgences led to uh, the popular saying, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Say that again, please. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. What the fuck? So let's get into a little bit of the 95 thesis. We're not going to read all 95 of them, but we'll, let's right. dive in a little bit. Please do. This is straight from Wikipedia, so if you really want to get into it, Excellent. go for it. Um, the iconic first thesis states, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. In the few, uh, the first few theses, Luther develops the idea of repentance as the Christian's inner struggle with sin, rather than the external system of sacramental confession. These five theses five to seven then state that the Pope can only release people from the punishment he has administered himself or through the Church's system of penance, not the guilt of sin. The Pope can only announce God's forgiveness of the guilt of sin in his name. So, the Pope can't actually cleanse you of sins, you know? Right, it's almost like he's a human being and not God. Right. Which is a bold statement. Uh-huh, so theses 14 to 16 discuss the idea that punishment of purgatory can be likened to the fear and despair felt by dying people. In theses 17 to 24, he asserts that nothing can be definitively said about the spiritual state of people in purgatory. He denies that the Pope has any power over people in purgatory. And in theses 25 and 20, or that's what he says in theses 25 and 26, in 27 and 29, he attacks the idea that as soon as payment is made, the payer's loved one is released from purgatory. He sees it as encouraging sinful greed and says it is impossible to be certain because only God has ultimate power in forgiving punishments in purgatory. Continuing on a bit here. Yes, please. Theses 30, 34. With the false certainty, Luther believed that indulgence preachers offered Christians, since no one knows whether a person is truly repentant, a letter assuring a person of his forgiveness is dangerous. 
In theses 35 and 36, he attacks the idea of that an indulgence makes repentance unnecessary. You know, because you paid for it. The Pope said that you're good. Right. This leads to the conclusion that a truly repentant person who alone may benefit from the indulgence has already received the only benefit the indulgence provides. Truly repentant Christians have already, according to Luther, been forgiven of the penalty as well as the guilt of sin. Continuing on, he states that indulgences are not necessary for Christians to receive the full benefits provided by Christ. He argues that indulgences make true repentance more difficult. True repentance desires God's punishment of sin, but indulgences teach one to avoid punishment since that is the one purpose of purchasing the indulgence. Right. Mm-hmm. Literally get out of jail. Not free, but... No, but you pay. Yeah, it's pay to play. Yep. Continuing on a bit here. Yes, please. In Theses 41 to 47, Luther criticizes indulgences on the basis that they discourage works of mercy by those who purchase them. Because that's the whole point of penance. Is right. To actually be merciful to you know help other people out. And here he begins to use the phrase, Christians are to be taught to state how he thinks people should be instructed on the value of indulgences. They should be taught that giving to the poor is incomparably more important than buying indulgences. That buying an indulgence rather than giving to the poor invites God's wrath, and that doing good works makes a person better while buying indulgences does not. Maybe it makes the church a little bit uh, better. What? By some people's. Yeah. You know? Better. Yeah. So, you get the idea. That's a good amount of the... the th- you get the basis of yeah, you, everything going on here. You get the good broad strokes here. Yeah. So he doesn't like, he sounds like a pious man, I guess is the best way to describe yeah. it. And he doesn't like how corrupt the church is kind of becoming. I mean, when you're literally selling tickets into heaven. Right. Come on, guys. I mean, they were, you were literally yeah. getting a receipt. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you paid for your sins. You'll be good. Yeah, here you go. Rings of the chest. You just slide your card. Mm-hmm. Here you go cool so anyways the pope leo the 10th had approved indulgences and had made it so they covered pretty much any sin adultery and even theft included so every little crime right you could just kind of you know get your uh, sins paid off get into heaven he also then excommunicated martin luther well, yeah, that's that. Yeah, do that. He wasn't a fan of his uh, writings, I like, guess. Don't do that. It's like, what are you talking about? My idea it was a shitty idea, right? Well, fuck you, Martin Luther. Go to hell. Ah, <gasps> mm-hmm. Didn't did not like that man. No, ideas changing. Yeah, what? You don't want us to be corrupt? We're huh. making we're making fucking money, man. Yeah, they were uh, building some giant. I guess it would be Renaissance because uh-huh. a lot of those. Uh, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. Uh huh. All this, all of this happened very quickly, though. The Protestant Reformation, which we kind of stated already a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we did. Uh, this period was to be the real, to be the first test run for a very new weapon called the printing press. Oh, shit. Mm hmm. And what a dangerous weapon it would prove to be. It sure would. Because <laughs> this then led to violence between Christians and Protestants, 
um, you know, because word was spreading so quickly that pe- people were jumping on board. Like Martin Luther, they were like, yeah, the church is corrupt. And then other people were like, nah, we're good guys. Like, mm. So Germany and Switzerland were kind of the heart of this Reformation period. Hell yeah. But it spread throughout the entirety of the Holy Roman Empire. The Reformation was a very violent period in Europe. Even family members were often pitted against one another in the wars of religion. Each side, both Catholic and Protestant, were often absolutely certain that they were in the right and the other was doing the devil's work. Uh, Imagine how heated that argument is when you literally believe they're doing the work of the devil. Yeah, Uh, pretty intense, right? You're the devil. No, you're the devil. No, you're the devil. Oh, well, now you're dead. Now I'm dead. Mm -hmm. We're all dead. So these, you know, kind of arguments turned into massive peasant uprisings. So absurd. With rebel armies massing in the tens of thousands and clashes over religion would kill tens of thousands. Jesus. With all this going on. Um, so just a decade after, oh, hold on, that's the wrong quote. Sure, you're fine. Oh, yeah, so those were called the Peasants' Wars when it first kind of popped up. Oh, my God. A decade later, the specter of Reformation-inspired anarchy returned to the Holy Roman Empire. In Munster, a group of radical Anabaptists took control of the city and established a spiritual government. When the new government began to collapse, the Catholic authorities moved in, leading... The leading Anabaptists were put to the sword their body parts placed in cages on the outside of the cathedral. For contemporaries, Munster and its bloody end was an argument of obedience to the secular and religious authorities. It has also resulted in the unenduring suspicion towards religious radicals and more hostility across Europe. Okay? Yeah. So that was a little jumbled up uh, quote there, but you get the idea. I do. So... On August 24th of 1572, amongst the midst of a celebration of a marriage between a Catholic princess and a Protestant king, at least 2,000 French Protestants were murdered on the streets of Paris. Wow. The news of events in Paris also sparked massacres in other French cities. Great. Fun. While the direct role of the French monarchy in the massacre and the exact numbers killed remains sources of debate... The popular element of the violence was striking. Victims were often known to perpetrators. What? They knew each other? Yeah. I mean, what? That's just a weird part to throw in there towards the end of this quote. Right. I guess I should have proofread that better. That's good. It's all good. I get it. But Catholic powers praised the killings, and the French Protestant cause saw a wave of exile and conversions. Probably back to Catholic. It's like, oh, I never, never mind. Yeah. Oh. Oh, whoops, okay. never mind. Just kidding. I just, it was my Protestant phase, I'm sorry. Yeah, just a phase. Uh, yeah. Just like an emo phase. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just experimented with rebellion. I'm back now, Dad. Yeah, no worries. S- sorry, Dad. So eventually all of this violence would lead to the Thirty Years' War. Jesus. Which was a period of religious wars that decimated populations killing up to 8 million people 
across the Holy Roman Empire, possibly. In the mid, or I guess that would have been the early 1600s, that's a lot of people. Like, Very I mean, much that's so. still a lot of people. Right, but the yeah, the ratio to people dead to people alive is not a good one. Yeah. So this was a very tumultuous time in Germany, right? Yeah, sounds Lots bad. of crazy stuff. Sounds bad. But near the town of Bedburg, Germany, something more sinister lurked in the woods. Almost daily, farmers and peasants would awake to find their livestock slaughtered, devoured, bloody gore spread out all across their farmland. The corpses of goats, cows, sheep, none seemed safe. With the battles and uprisings going on, these were uh, people's livelihoods. They were pretty scared. To make matters worse, one day a group of children were playing in a pasture. They were out amongst the the field, meadow, uh, playing. You know, there's some cows around. Some of the children are picking flowers when suddenly a large wolf appeared running through the meadow. Oh, shit. Caught off guard, one little girl was seized by the beast. No. It clamped its jaws tight around her throat. What? The other children, shrieking in terror, and the cows seeing the wolf with their calves nearby, charged the wolf, which forced the wolf to le- flee, and it dropped the girl. Uh, un- or fortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately oh. <laughs> for the girl, she was dressed with a coat that had a high, stiff collar, so the wolf's teeth did not pierce her flesh. Holy shit. What she luck was is that? Le- she was left... Bruised and terrified. True. Yeah. Oh, man, imagine if a wolf's mouth is just around your neck and you're just screaming, but you're not dying. It just has you caught. Yeah. That's, I mean. And then you're getting stampeded by cows. But yeah. that are saving you. Right, hero cows. Yeah. Move, wolf. <laughs> Get out the way. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, well, it went there. Yep. So what can you do? Okay, so now... This kind of put a face to the the beast slaughtering livestock. Some rogue wolf was out in the wilderness, roaming in closer towards settlements. Other people weren't as lucky as that little girl, though. They needed higher collars. They needed higher collars. Shit. I mean, I can't imagine what that coat looked like, really. (laughs) It's just made of of metal. (laughs) This is a metal jacket. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm just going off going off uh, the history here. Right. Oftentimes, groups of women would find themselves out walking the meadows. Suddenly, they would come under attack by a large wolf. It would run, run amongst them, snapping its jaws. They would run around in terror, trying to flee in whichever direction they could escape. Some wouldn't escape. Yeah. Separated in their flight of terror, some would later be found there, throats ripped out, Limbs torn away. Yikes. Some had even had their hearts devoured. Of course. Some had babies torn from their wombs. Yikes, wolf. Mm-hmm. One un- unlucky group, two men, and one woman were out in the woods. One of the men heard his name called, ignoring it for the first time, thinking it a trick of the wind, yet when heard again calling his name he ventured into the brush to investigate. After some time, the first man had not returned. The second man set out to see where he had disappeared to. 
Yet he never returned. No. The girl sat there, terrified and alone. She was later found with her throat torn out, her body raped and eaten. Wow, what did this wolf do? (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck? The men's bodies were found, limbs and throats torn away, scattered some distance away from the girl's corpse. Well, I didn't, that's a whole... Things escalated. They did a little bit. A lot of visuals there. Mm-hmm. A lot of... Yeah, escalation is a good word to use. Yeah. Get that rape in there, and then the ripping out of her throat and shit. Cool. Great. With the, that new evidence, though. <laughs> yeah, what this evidence that this wolf is raping and killing people? It began to spread around the Bedburg area. There's a were- werewolf in their midst. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah, right? He's got quite the agenda, Mr. Werewolf. It's not a good agenda. It's very bad. Mm-hmm. Tara gripped the area. People hired guards to escort them around town, on the road, basically everywhere, if you could afford it. Some could of, not. Of course. Mm-hmm. Money talks, man. Mm-hmm. Small children were found torn to pieces, their brains eaten, All right. hearts ripped out, okay. limbs scattered about. <laughs> <laughs> Not often you hear the phrase brains eaten. No. The bl- bloodlust of this wolf seemed insatiable. Its reign of terror gripped the region for 25 years. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good phrase for it. <laughs> yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Over 25 years in the Bedburg area... An unknown number of men were slain, women murdered and raped, children torn limb from limb, and countless livestock devoured. Calm down, Wolf. He doesn't give a fuck. No, he sure doesn't give a fuck. He's not interested in keeping a low profile whatsoever. So at this point, this has gone on. Right. Long time. It's just a fact of life. It's a new normal. One night as dusk fell, a group of hunters spotted the beast. You see, there were constantly groups of hunters out hunting this horrible monster. Right. The They used mastiffs and other large dogs Hell to, yeah. to uh, both protect them and hopefully pursue the foe. So finally getting a glimpse of it, that's what this group did. They let the hounds lead and took chase. Running through the woods and crossing over paths, they chased pursuing the beast for some time, getting ever closer than they had before. Yet around a bend, the hounds suddenly seemed to have lost the scent and sight of the wolf. From up the path, walking towards them, was a man. He had a walking stick in one hand, and he was just walking down the path. Don't like it. As if nothing were amiss. He strolled right past the hunters, who were too preoccupied with trying to find the wolf's trail. Nobody's asking any questions to this man. Besides, they recognized the man from town. That's even worse. It's Peter Stube. <sighs> Fucking Peter. The one-handed farmer that lived at the edge of town. Peter Stube. Mm-hmm. After being, some time goes by, and after being unsuccess- unsuccessful in their attempts to pick up the wolf's trail, they turned back, eventually catching up with the farmer. They asked him if he had seen the beast and which way it went. He said he had seen nothing. The hunters, having known Stube, Escorted him home. After leaving him at his farmhouse, on their way back into town, though, 
some started to get suspicious. One even mentioned that he thought he had seen that the wolf was missing his front left paw, which coincidentally, Peter Stube was missing his left hand. This guy needs to be talking way louder and saying this to way more people. He, yeah. he needs to make this more of a thing. Peter Stube was then ordered to be brought in for questioning under the order of the magistrate. The questioning worked a little bit different back uh, in the 1500s. Oh, God. Yeah, what did they tie him to? Um, Peter Stube was brought before the rack. Fuck. You see, the rack is a torture device consisting of a rectangular, usually wooden frame, slightly raised from the ground with a roller at one or both ends. The victim's ankles are then fastened to one roller and the wrists are chained to the other. As the interrogation progresses, a handle and a ratchet mechanism attached to the top roller are used to very gradually retract the chains, slowly increasing the strain on the prisoner's shoulders, hips, knees, and elbows, causing excruciating pain. By means of pulleys and levers, this roller could be rotated on its own axis, thus straining the ropes until the sufferer's joints were dislocated and eventually separated. Additionally, if muscle fibers are stretched excessively, they lose their ability to contract, rendering them ineffective. Ineffective. One gruesome aspect of being stretched too far on the racks is the loud popping noises made by snapping cartilage, ligaments, or bones. Cool. One powerful method for putting pressure upon prisoners was to force them to watch someone else being subjected to the rack. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you're like, you're going to do what to me? Yeah, two birds with one stone. Yeah. Or does this guy anyway? You want to watch this too? <laughs> yeah. All right. So maybe Peter Stube saw someone else already on the rack, or maybe his soul was made heavy by all the atrocities he had committed because he began unburdening himself before even being strapped to the rack. He started confessing, Everything. This sounds like a man who could not control when he could become a werewolf if he had to confess what he did. Hmm. <laughs> I know. Keep <laughs> telling me stories. Peter but, confessed that he had been practicing black magic and communing with the devil since the age of 12. Peter? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Years ago, Satan had appeared before him and promised to give him whatsoever his heart desires. Being a lustful, cruel, tyrannical man, he requested that at his pleasure he be able to transform into a cruel beast where he could turn his, ma- turn his malice upon men, women, and children. Peter needed to relax. He could have wished for anything. <laughs> yeah, right? Can I be a brutal monster? The devil, you know, was like, wow, okay. <laughs> okay, dude. Even the devil steps back a little bit like, all right. <laughs> Okay, man. Uh-huh. But wow. He had just the thing. I bet he did. He had given Peter a girdle imbued with evil. <laughs> when he put the belt on. Hold on. <laughs> sure. Did this get erased on accident or did I <laughs> what happened here? Oh yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. Back at it. When he put the belt on. He straight transformed in the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled like unto brands of fire, a mouth great and wide with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty paws. And no sooner should he put off that same girdle, 
but presently he would appear in his former shape according to the proportion of a man, as if he had never been changed. Yikes. Yeah, pretty fancy belt. Yeah, he probably needed that. Where was his belt at this time during this questioning? Yeah. Did he drop it? Okay. Okay. He had started killing livestock, but it soon become overtaken by bloodlust. Yeah, he's like, boring. He began killing anything and anyone he could, so long as he couldn't be caught. He became, became so consumed with bestial pleasure, he could not help himself. He would cher- chase terrified women as a wolf. Once catching them, he would turn back into a human, rape them. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Then that terrible deed done, he would turn back into a wolf where he would kill and devour fuck? them. He's like, nah, this part's for humans. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Uh-huh. So filled with gross vileness and filthy desire, he raped his daughter repeatedly. She had his son. In wolf form, he took his young incest-born son into the woods where he murdered him and ate his brain. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, what is going on? He was having an affair with his distant relative, which was deemed also incestuous, and he kept the company of a she-devil for that Satan had sent him. Oh, Satan gave him a babe? Yeah, I get Well, no, yeah, a babe. Just like, hey, watch. Like, not like a babe, a babe. No, right, like, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. No, no, right, like a like a lady, a lady of the, uh, a lady of hell, I guess. Yeah. And so he <laughs> even, continued. Even Satan was like, do you watch this guy, please? <laughs> <laughs> this look, guy is a maniac. Let me know what he's up to, because I don't know. He's gunning for my job or something. Yeah, I think he's trying to outrank me here. Yeah. Um, so, so he continued on this 25 year span of 25 rape and murder as a wolf. All this he confessed outright. When asked to procure the belt, he said he tossed it into a valley before he was nearly caught. The valley was searched, but no evidence of the devil's belt was found. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. I don't know how to say her name. Beale, Beale Stube, his daughter. Sure. And Catherine Thrompen, where his ins- who was his incestuous mistress, were both found to be guilty as accessories to murder and guilty of incest. And they were also arraigned and judgment passed. All three were then condemned to be executed on Halloween 1589. October 31st. Intriguing date. Yeah. Peter Stube, being the most guilty and cause of all the evils surrounding the trio, he was executed first. Yeah? You ready for this? I don't know. Emma, you tell me. Peter was strapped to a wheel. Oh, Christ. Or what is also known as the breaking wheel. Not that. It was a common method for public executions. Don't like the breaking wheel. Once his limbs were bound... Don't. ...to the wheel... Uh, they took red-hot pincers and tore ten chunks of flesh away from his bones. This is, what the fuck are we doing here? After that, his legs and arms were broken with an axe. <laughs> then, he was decapitated. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> oh, it's that's the. <sighs> We're not done. The fucking breaking wheel. <laughs> then like the the ten the hot <laughs> pincher because I I I'm I'm not personally of course familiar with the breaking wheel, but like the pincher and the meat it always what the fuck? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Just because just have there's nothing else to do. So then his headless corpse was burned at the stake. They tied him to a stake and burned his corpse. At the same time, his daughter and mistress were both burned alive. Great. The wheel that he was killed on was then raised up high on a pole, where there was carved a wooden wolf, and upon a spike, they put his head. Talking this flair for the dramatic. So ended the damnable life of Peter Stube, a Protestant man in the town of Bedburg, a resolutely, resolutely Catholic town. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. It's a Catholic town, and they beheaded a Protestant man, put him on a pike, and claimed he was a werewolf. In the middle of the Reformation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure he was a real werewolf that they caught. I'm yeah. sure it wasn't because he was just... I'm sure it had nothing to do with his religious beliefs. Hmm. An interesting story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. that is the werewolf of Bedburg. Jesus. And I took most of that. I actually had to read this, and it was uh, what the Catholic Church disseminated through the printing press. And you can read it. You can find it, because it is an article that was written in 1590, yeah. I think. Holy shit. And it is called The Damnable Life and Death of Peter Stube. Man, yeah, no, yeah, all the horrible, they're like, how can we make this guy the most horrible person imaginable? Oh, yeah. They're just like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that. he was just eating them. He oh. did that. And he raped them. Yeah, he became a man, though. Then he raped him as a man. Then he was a wolf and he ate yeah. a brain. Mm-hmm. So some, a lot of people have, like, hypothesized on, like, this is obviously some sort of propaganda. Absolutely. Because. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they said a lot of uh, Catholic higher-ups from the town were there to witness this execution. And Bedburg had no Protestant uprising in it compared to, like, the area. So why do they think what made Peter the target? Do Keith, we do we do they think he was a Protestant? So that I mean that's the main. But like, did he do anything to piss them off? Besides that, do we know of? No. Or he's just probably he's that's just probably one of the few in town. Like yeah, he's probably one of the few here. in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy shit! But yeah, that was the that's the written and documented execution of a werewolf. What? Has the church been doing? I don't know. <laughs> and it's been 500 years since that nonsense. What other cool stories did they write about people they murdered? Mm, yep. How many vampires did they stake? Hmm. That's uh, maybe a question for another time. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So, Peter Stube, or some, some call him Peter Stump. Mm-hmm. Because, but they think that was a mistranslation because of his missing hand. Right. And that, you know, you can see how that, somebody decides to copy that shit and mm-hmm. reprint it, how that can get changed. The game of telephone we always talk about. Yep. Makes sense. Well, it's got to process that for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a vile story. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. True. It makes you really, Not- wa- it makes you really want him dead, so it does its job. Mm-hmm. 
You're like, wow, this guy sucks. Well, not only that, he fucking killed his kid and raped her, and then he's an incestual psychopath, and yeah. he made a deal with the devil, and he was so nasty that a she-devil had to like be his consort. So one thing is that, with that, is they think people were jealous. They, He got like the town hottie or something like that, and they were like, Oh, the mm. she devil. Yeah. There we go. Yes. Like he he sorcerer or sorcerer her or whatever because right. he could never you know. Yeah, he fucking like glamoured her or be be um bewitched her or something and she fell in love because no one's gonna like a guy with one hand. Mm-hmm. How could they get this hot babe? Yep. Oh, he must have made a pact with the devil to become an evil werewolf with his magical belt. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? S- some hypothesize that he was possibly a mentally ill man. That Even worse. was taken advantage of to make, to be a tool for the Catholics. Sure, because they probably consider him useless anyway, so like we can just, no one's going to miss this guy. But nobody really knows because it was so long ago that like there's not a lot to go off of this story. And the only thing that continues to the present day is the story told by his murderers. Mm-hmm. The story told by the victors. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Pretty fascinating story though, I thought. Yeah, it's very fascinating. A lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. Well, there's a fucking there's a fucking brutal movie to watch. Yeah, uh, actually, I don't know if there was a movie on it, but I saw there were a lot of songs by metal bands and stuff about the the werewolf of Bedburg or that makes sense stuff like that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, it's not even like yeah, I'm not being like sarcastic. Like yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like mm-hmm. of course they would. And yeah. you can, it's actually, I shouldn't say it's cool. But like, you can find like old wood, like carvings that they like did of like his story and everything, Uh and it's just like a man on all fours, like ripping babies apart. Holy yeah, because that's what you wanna when you wanna draw something, you wanna have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that guy wood carving, he's like, yeah, a baby's fucking dead. Yep. So that's pretty intense. Yikes. Good story. Well, that's it. Is a great story. And I mean, if anybody else has any great stories they want us to talk about, can email us at weirdandfreepodcast at gmail dot com. All the social medias, yeah. you know where they are. Mm-hmm. Patreons, anchor.fm, slash weird and feared. You can tell us a story. Tell us a story. Do it. But otherwise, you guys should just hunker down, buckle up, stay inside, and stay spooky. Yeah, stay inside spooky time. Yeah, do it. Later. Awesome.